welcome to High Tide, Low Tide, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health and where we share our stories with the knowledge that it could just be the lifeline of hope for someone who is hurting and afraid that they're the only one. I'm your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Just a little reminder here, guys, that we are discussing mental health in this episode, so we may touch on things like suicide or self-harm, which may be a trigger for you. As always, I'll pop resources in the show notes or know that you can call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hi guys and welcome back to High Tide, Low Tide. I hope you haven't missed me too much these last few weeks. I've been a little bit MIA. I'm sorry. I have been holding on for dear life. (laughs) Life has got a little bit hectic, but I am very excited to be recording this episode here in my kitchen this afternoon. And I have um, the wonderful Mitch Villani here joining me. So welcome, Mitch. Thank you for having me. I'm welcome here. So, so grateful. Yeah, so grateful. Good. And we've just sat down um, before we started recording (laughs) on the couch and I had to be like, okay, we need to stop and we need to start recording because we're having too many good conversations over here and no one's going to be able to listen in. Mm. (laughs) So here we are. First of all, um, would you like to just um, introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Villani, uh, as you mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. Where to start? So to really just say what I do and who I am is a transformational health coach. I really focus on supporting people who are either burnt out, chronic fatigued, going through mental health symptoms themselves, um, or it could be a form of other forms of diseases or autoimmune diseases. And in that, I have a huge approach with regulation of the nervous system and emotional regulation and different lifestyles. So really big focus on that. And then yeah, like what else would you like to know about me? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> so you are 35 mm-hmm. this year, you turned? This year, yeah. Yep. So yep. child of 87. That's it. Yeah, yep. great year, that Let's one. Let's go. Lovely. So there's so many interesting things that you have been a part of in the past, um, which we are definitely going to get to. And you have your own um, journey with mental health as well. Mm-hmm. What is your diagnosis? Uh, officially was chronic depression mm-hmm. and also PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, a couple of big ones there. Yeah, just, <laughs> just, a, just a little, little one. So. Yeah. And you have your own business. That's right, yeah. What I've is be- the name? Live Different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was really cool how it came about, just talking to my older brother Drew um, and just through general conversation when I just said, I just want to help people live different so they can heal. He just goes, bam, that's it. Nice. So, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And speaking of Drew, mm. I feel like that's kind of a little bit how our paths have crossed yeah. because Drew and I went to the same school. Yep. He was older than me. When I was in year eight... <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> when I was in year eight, there was like the cool skatey, skatey boys that were in year 11 and Drew was part of that group. The aggressive <laughs> skater crew, yes. Yes, and yep. they used to sit by the canteen where the vending machines are. I can still picture it clear. Yeah, he was a cool kid. <laughs> yes, yeah, so obviously I knew him from school and because we you didn't you and I didn't go to the same school. You went to a different school. I went to Henley High. Yeah. Yep. So um but then obviously just being the area and being Adelaide, because mm. I'm trying to think how our paths actually crossed. 
I'm not too sure. Like we're very yeah. much around the beach scene. Yeah, thing, so. definitely. Adelaide things. Hashtag so small, Adelaide two degrees things. of separation, hey? <laughs> Which is great and Sometimes. not great <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> How are you doing today? Yeah, really well. Uh, little, little tired, little fatigue. Uh, mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time just giving myself and services, which is I love it. I went to Wyala over the weekend uh, to, for a wellness weekend and got to be a guest speaker there and support in regards to meditation and breath work and share what I do with people. Never been to Wyala, so I didn't realise that was a long drive there. Yeah, I actually, I don't think I've been there either. Yeah, I, my little brother joked around with me. He's like, what are you doing this week? And I'm like, I'm going to speak at Wyala. And he goes, what, at the prison? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, like, what? <laughs> no clue. Uh, and then my mum's like, no, no, it's like, it's the land of cuttlefish and dolphins. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, it's beautiful there. Yeah. yeah. I actually had looked at going the last um, two years for when the cuttlefish have their, like, spawning or whatever it is and there's thousands of cuttlefish, but I just, yeah, didn't get around to it. I'd love to, to it. experience it. Yeah, I think they're in the shallows, so I don't even think you have to dive. I think you can actually snorkel and see them. Yeah, cool. Maybe we'll go to Wyala next year. Sounds good. Let's do <laughs> Not it. Not to the prison, <laughs> just for the cuttlefish. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so, you know, you said you're a little bit tired today, so I do appreciate you coming this yeah, but, evening. Yeah, but grounded and good. Like, yeah. it's not a, like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't be bothered doing anything. I'm just really content Yeah. if that's a, a good word to use. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in that, when I've learned to – when I am tired, I learn how to rest properly to recover. So yeah. it's not a bad thing. It's great. Good. Yeah. So in terms of your journey with your mental health, mm. if we were to sort of take that back to the very start, what would that look like? Mm. Or where would that be? That's a really good question. Mm. It's it's It could go back. The first time I'd probably experienced it was early high school. Yeah. Year eight, year nine were some pretty rough years for me. I experienced some pretty intense bullying physically and verbally. Um, wow. And people ask like, you know, bullying, you know, we all kind of experience it. But like I ended up having to go to hospital, um, had like horse tranquilizer in my blood. I got drugged. Um, what? Yeah, it got quite intense. Wow. Um, so and I, I remember talking to my parents just recently about this and I was like, why didn't you let me leave the school? Like why yeah. did I? And he, my mum and dad's like, you didn't want to leave. You didn't want them to beat you and win. And I was like, gosh, I don't even remember that. And it's funny how... When you have traumatic experiences, how you just forget them. Yeah. How the, how the brain protects you. So I have no recollection of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's full on. Yeah, it is. And um, in my episode last, um, the last one I did with Trin, she had um, gone through something very traumatic as a child and it wasn't until 35 years later that her brain started to unpack what mm. was going on. So that's like quite similar to what you're saying in that, and how our brains protect us by essentially blocking out memories. Yeah, I actually can't remember the the moments where I was physically beaten. Wow! Um, but my parents clearly do. Yeah. Um, and but that's it's. I think that's a beautiful thing at the same time because it hasn't held me back from doing other things. Yeah. You know? So the the safety mechanisms of uh psyche and our brain are quite powerful and only when we feel safe we can really unpack them but I haven't felt a need to I just know that happened I'm like cool it happened don't need to go there yeah okay yeah but that would be probably the earliest time because I would say the reason I go back there is because I was quite an extroverted young man Mm -hmm. before high school 
uh, was right. very vibrant, loved socialising, and that changed me uh, where I really had a lot of anxiety, I guess, you could call it that, towards socialising, interacting, having any form of conflict. Um, yeah. And, yeah, my parents just said, yeah, you change, your personality changed through that experience. Wow. Yeah. That's full on. Hmm. Like, and I didn't know that had happened to that extent, obviously. Yeah. I'm sure you could have just seen that on my face. <laughs> but it's like it doesn't surprise me that that would have changed. I mean, how old were you at the time? What, what year you, eight, year nine is what? 14, 13? 15? <laughs> I have no idea. I 13? can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Uh, yeah, so probably, you're still yeah, 13, very yeah. much a child. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Like to go through something like that. Mm. And then so obviously those things happen. You stayed at the school. Mm. What did it look like after that? At the school? Yeah. Like what was school life like? Um, were those the people who were a part of that bullying still there? Yeah. Yeah, they were. No expulsion. Not that I remember. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think I really kicked up a fuss either. Okay. Um, probably due to fear of it getting worse. Yeah. But what was probably my saving grace and the big support was sport for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was my big outlet. Yeah. So I really started to succeed around the age of 14, 15 in inline hockey. Yeah. Um, and for then, I don't know if you remember, but Henley High is a pretty athletic, sporty type of school. Yes. That's why I was and, never going there. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I got an... Um, at 15, I made the Australian inline junior team. Wow. Yeah. So I started really achieving in sport and got the accolades at high school for it. And I think that's when things just decided to change for me. Or I think people had a different outlook on who I was. Right. And accepted me a bit more. So, yeah, that's when it, it really all changed for me. Yeah. Yeah. So then it was better at school after that. Yeah. Yep. Isn't that a bit like fucked though? Oh, totally. Like, fucked. sorry, Absolutely. yeah. But like, oh, he's almost. good at sports, so we'll accept thing. him. Totally, now. yeah. Like, well, I went into I went into high school not knowing anyone, so yeah. I went I went into a, a private um, school when I was in primary school, mm-hmm. and you know, lucky for me, my older brother was very popular in primary school, mm-hmm. not only in with the high school you went to. <laughs> so you know, everyone knew me. Yeah. But then I chose to go to a completely different high school than my older brother and no one knew me and I guess I was just the easy target. Mm. But then I started to build up a bit of a credibility through sport and then people were just wanting to be my friend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you could say that's definitely fucked. <laughs> it's a bit fucked, but, like, I mean, I'm glad for you that, yeah. like, you know, the rest of the school was school life wasn't like that. So, and obviously it would have been very rewarding for you in the sport that you'd obviously progressed and were achieving in that way. Yeah, it was my outlet. It was, yeah. a, it was school was, yeah, something I just, I don't really remember much of, but sport was the mm-hmm. biggest passion for me. I, I got to really express myself the way I wanted to. So yeah, yeah it really built my personality back up through, through sport. Yeah. yeah. And that was inline hockey. So that's roller blades. Yep. On... Four wheels going straight, not the tracks of the, the yeah. two and two. No, that's what I bought during COVID. I bought, yeah, I bought seen quads. You I'm you not very good. good. No, you look good. You're doing well. I'm not I was like, good. I'm going to join you. It's the like four second video clips that make me look good. It's not like that in real life, I can put the, assure put the you. the real up, eh? Yeah. But so, and that's on like, you do that on concrete? Or you do like it on different like a, services. So you can be on like a, a basketball court. Um, so like the wooden basketball courts that some, yeah. a lot of we played on there. And you've got sp- uh, specific 
tiled rubber tile courts as well for inline hockey. Okay. And then around that age, uh, 15, I converted to ice hockey. Yes. So that's when I think of you. That's why I think of ice hockey. Yeah. How did that come about, the change? I always wanted to play it. Okay. From the age of 11, when I watched the Mighty Ducks, I was like, oh, mom. Like, and she's like, um, sorry, mate, we live in Australia. There's no ice. <laughs> um, and so then, yeah, once I found out, mum's like, yeah, you can, you can begin playing now. And that was at 15 and I just never looked back from there. Yeah. yeah. At Mount Theberton. That's the one. <laughs> yep. Yep. Are the ice arena. I don't, it's not called Mount Theberton anymore, is it? Or was that just like slang? Well, yeah, no, it's not called Mount Theberton because the mountain's not there anymore. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's not. No. <laughs> it's just the rinks now. Yep. Okay. So you moved to ice hockey at about 15. Mm-hmm. And then what, how did that progress? Um, progressed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once I went and played for the Oz team in inline, uh, I ended up getting um, some really good uh, people looking at me playing in Canada. And they said, look, you have the potential to, you know, take this a bit further if you wanted to. And I, that was a dream to be a professional ice hockey player. So yeah. bless my parents, they let me leave Australia at 15 um, on my own, 15, just turning 16 and lived with a billet family for a year. Cool. And that was a huge boost for my confidence Yeah, because I had a lot of fear going into a new high school, mm-hmm. obviously from the bullying. Yeah. But the great thing is I was the only Aussie there mm-hmm. and everyone loves Aussies in Canada. Yeah. So I was so well accepted and yeah. I had the best year of my life. Oh, um, good. And that just built, I, I was able to get out of that shy shell and get back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an amazing year and mm-hmm. didn't, didn't make it to the extent I wanted it to. And I just accepted it for what it was because Canadians are good at hockey. Um, yeah. Okay. But it, it massively improved my own skill set. I got to come back and play for the junior team under 18s and then got to play for the Adelaide team for five years and play for the men's team for two years. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to travel, play in Adelaide. It was a great, great experience. Yeah. And I guess when you think about that time that you were playing, what was the best part for you? Just the competitiveness. Um, okay. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's a, it's a contact sport. Yeah. Um, and because I was, I'm a fun sized person, I'm pretty short. Um, <laughs> you have to earn every bit of ice time and every, every team I was on, I was the smallest player. Okay. So I had a point to prove. Mm. Um, and my dad taught me, he's like, you've just got to play like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Which I did, and then I realized I'm not bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had many injuries from the sport as well. But it was just a, the, the camaraderie, the teamwork, mm. the, the community, the, um, the culture is something that you truly miss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was the fun part. Oh, good. Mm. What was the name of the team? Because they have a, te- a name, don't they? When I, well, I've been through three transitions. Oh. So originally it was the Adelaide Avalanche. Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, and they went to a new buyer and so we had a Adelaide A's for I don't know how long, very like quickly. A's, it, like the just, letter. Just the A, yeah, oh. because they just couldn't figure out a name. Oh. Um, and then we went to the Adelaide Adrenaline. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, that and sounds familiar. now uh, a new league's co- come back called the PHL and the Avalanche is back, the original name. Okay. So it just happened this year. Does that feel good to like that it's back at its original name? Yeah, because there's history there. Yeah. You know, it's something that we're very proud of. And, so, yeah. and, and we've got, you know, guys my age, guys older that we even still talk about it to this day. So it's, mm-hmm. and they, and they just won. So mm-hmm. it was really cool to see the Avalanche winning a cup again. Yeah. yeah. This might be a dumb question. <laughs> yeah, go. <laughs> but like, 
does it run as a winter sport <laughs> like <laughs> football does? <laughs> because it's played like in yeah. Adelaide, for anyone who's listening like in the States, it's played in an indoor arena because we don't have snow where mm-hmm. we are. <laughs> yes, it is played <laughs> as a winter sport. Yeah. Okay, so yep. the season has just finished. Just finished. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. Good question. <laughs> Not a dumb question at all. Look, if I'm asking it, there's surely someone else out there that's thinking it. Mm. I'm yep. going to go with that. Anyway. Well, it is a unique sport here in Australia for sure. It is. Yep. I did go when I was in Sweden in 2016. I went to see a game over there oh. and it was very entertaining yeah, cool. um, and so physical. Like mm. I know you said that just before, you know, it is a contact sport, but I think like, I mean, I've never sat down and watched it on TV. So this was for me really the first time I'd ever watched it. Yeah. And it was full on. Like there's a lot of fights. Oh, there was fights in Sweden? Yeah. Wow. Normally European hockey is more like um, a very skillful um, play uh-huh. of hockey and then you go into the North American leagues and that's a lot more physical. Uh, maybe it wasn't as bad, but I just was shocked because I was seeing mm. it for the first time. And also I don't think it was like the Swedish team. I oh, think okay. it was yeah, like sure, sure, <laughs> I think sure. it was like the local yeah. like state teams or whatever the equivalent of that yeah. would be. But very yeah. entertaining nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. So you were playing that for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Why did you stop? Because mm. my body didn't want to play anymore, unfortunately. My mind did. My body broke down. So I ended up having three left shoulder reconstructions. When was this, like time-wise? Um, my last shoulder reconstruction was in 2010. Right. Okay. So quite some time ago. Yeah. Um, and that's when I was just reaching my prime. So it was really hard to let mm. go. And that was when I was first diagnosed with depression. Right. The third surgery. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because it was the full of understanding that I can't play anymore. Yeah. You know, once I had that third shoulder reconstruction, they just said, you're done. Like you, if you continue to play and continue to hurt your shoulder, by the time you're 40 or 50, you won't be able to pick up a cereal box. Wow. And I was just like, oh gosh, like that's pretty intense. And so I had to really just calculate my move. And the smart move was to give up the sport, the culture, the community I, I loved and had spent so many years investing in. Um, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know at the time what depression was. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to understand because I was at university at that time mm-hmm. um, studying a double degree and going through exams, I just couldn't seem to learn. I couldn't seem to retain information. And I was really low and I had no idea. And so I was looking up study drugs. Yeah. So I was like, I, I need something to get me through this. Otherwise, I'm going to fail my exams. And so talking to my mum, she was all for it. She's like, okay, no worries. And took me to the GP. Mm-hmm. And it was just so quick. It was like 10 questions. And he just looked at me. He's like, you have depression. And I was like, what? No, I don't. I come from a good family. I I." You know, and just the the lack of awareness and understanding mm-hmm. coming from good family means diddly squat. Like, yeah. and I just thought there's no way I could be depressed. How could I be depressed? I'm not that bad. Mm-hmm. Like, but yeah, and it was 10 questions and a script written out and here is your script for antidepressants. Yeah. And I had a lot of shame when that was first diagnosed to me because I then had to go home mm-hmm. and tell my father, that his son was depressed. Yeah. And that was a very hard conversation to have. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like 
you know, my mum was obviously supportive. She was there. Yeah. But so I told my dad and I'm still very thankful how he approached it. At the time, I didn't understand it, but hindsight's a beautiful thing. So I, I, I sat down with my dad in a, a room at the front of the house and almost speechless on how to share it with him. And once I did, he's put his hand on my back and gave me a tap. He goes, okay, well, we got two options. And I was like, okay, what are these two options? He goes, well, one, we can take the drugs. He goes, but if you choose that option, you can't live here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow indeed. Like yeah. here I am at, how old am I at this? I think I'm 20. Yeah, um, which is, is young. Yeah, and it's just like, and when you're first hit with yeah. the label and then you're hit with if you have the drugs with this label, you can't live in this household. Do you that, know why he had that thought? I deep down believe that he knew I wasn't depressed. Okay. And that's why he was calling it out. Okay. And then the second option was, <laughs> because mm. I come from, so it's like the, the listeners understand, I, I come from a Christian upbringing. And this, this is why this, is, this second option is funny. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. And he goes, or oh, option two, you read your Bible. Oh. And I was like. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right? You're like, okay. And when some, that's, that's not good advice to give someone <laughs> when they've been diagnosed with depression. However. This is where I've gone wrong all these years. Yeah, and I, he gave me, and I threw it back in his face. Yeah. And was so upset. I said, I'm not reading that. Mm-hmm. You know, because I just couldn't believe but what he did then was profound mm-hmm. because then he sat me down even more. He didn't get angry. He just wanted, I, he just, I think he wanted to see my reaction. <laughs> he goes, okay, let's break this down. So you're really upset you can't play hockey anymore. I get it. But since then, what have you been doing with your life? What have you been reading? What have you been listening to? What have you been watching? Who have you been hanging out with? What have you been consuming, Mitchell? Mm. And he goes, write it down. I want to know everything. And this is, I believe this is a good father. Like, and so I wrote it down. He looked at it and he goes, well, that music's junk. That TV show, I think I was watching One Tree Hill at the time. Or whatever, oh, I think, you don't know if anyone remembers that series. Very drama-like. Um, so watching that, listening to the crap, like consume, everything I'm consuming mm. goes, well, nothing about that is inspiring you. Mm-hmm. or supporting your mental space. And that's when I got introduced to the personal development world, Yeah, which was really interesting. Um, so that was like the first real big journey of helping myself out mm-hmm. mentally through a doctor's diagnosis of depression. Yeah. Um, which, you know, kind of rings a bell of, I, I don't know if you know who Do- uh, Professor Jordan Peterson is. I don't, sorry. For any of those listeners, he's a, he used to be a, a professor at um, Toronto University and he's, he's a clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to him the other day and he goes, look, um, how I do or work with people initially if they've been depressed, he goes, I really ask him, are you depressed or do you not like your life? And so mm-hmm. he's like, he goes through the lifestyle of that individual and then if they tick everything that's good and he's like, you actually do have a good lifestyle and you're still depressed, he goes, then I will consider that you're depressed. And there's a clinical illness going on. And I think that's kind of deep down what my dad did. Mm-hmm. And so we really fixed it up and I was great. Years, mm-hmm. years down, like fast forwarding, you know, finished my double degree, 
went into sales, went into business, doing amazing, amazing things. And then this is like three years later, I got enticed by my friends to come back and play non-contact hockey. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I loved it. Okay. I had so much fun. I like, thought that was going to go no, off the deep for end. Two then. <laughs> years, for two years, I was just like, this is amazing. Okay. Um, being back in the culture, just having a blast. But then the itch comes back. And then I got invited to try out for the men's South Australian team. Right. And I did. I was very nervous, but I made it. Yeah. And I ended up captaining the team here in SA and we were undefeated. I got highest point scorer. We won gold. Best tournament of my life. Bravo. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> but it came at a, the biggest cost. And this is where my life really turned. Right. Um, so for anyone who knows ice hockey, there's boards and boundaries. They're like walls mm-hmm. that, that you hit people against or the puck goes against. So it doesn't, doesn't go out of bounds. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. around the rink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, in the grand final game, the puck was in the corner and I went in to retrieve it and I didn't see someone behind me and they hit me in the back and I was going extremely fast and I went head first into the boards. I dislocated both my shoulders and fractured a rib. So you could imagine the impact mm. that I went at for all that to happen. Um, adrenaline was high. Um, I knew the team were targeting me. And so I'm a very prideful, competitive person, mm-hmm. well, was. Mm. And I just got my friend to help me dislocate my shoulders back in. Oh, God. And I finished the game. No. Absolutely. I didn't. I just didn't want them to think they could beat me. Right. And You were probably full of adrenaline, like yeah, you mentioned. Yeah, you know, like managed well. to get the, the tying goal. We went to a shootout and we won. Right. But after being in the change room, my resting heart rate was close to 200 after 40 minutes and I was convulsing and shaking and they called the ambulance and I got rushed to hospital. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And what they found is I was so focused on my heart because I was having irregular heart rhythms Yeah. that they they just put all that on and obviously you're on massive morphine and so you can't feel anything. But that's when I experienced the worst injury I've ever had and that's when I was on a journey of nerve pain. Right. Mm. So what had happened that so, caused that? Like which inch, so, which part so of that injury? So going head first into the boards caused yeah. um, three and a half discs in my neck to protrude, um, So which then impinged on the nerve. Yeah. So protrusion of, of discs. And that was C7, 6, 5, and 4. Wow. Yeah. So a huge, huge, huge impact. Yeah. And for, But what was really upsetting about it, is I've never experienced nerve pain before. Mm. So I didn't know what it was and I was just really confused for about three months. I didn't actually get diagnosed with the actual nerve pain. They just said it was just pain. So if you were to try to describe nerve oh, pain... It's difficult. It's, yeah. It's, it, it's different on different days. It can be yeah. hot, it can be cold, it can be numbing, it can be low, it can be really sharp, like mm. someone's stabbing you. Um, but it's constant. Yeah. And it's always there. Always turned on. Mm-hmm. And what was the worst thing was about it, I couldn't sleep. Oh. Everything. Like it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. So now I was losing sleep and I was probably getting only three hours a night. Right. And so then, you know, they just put me on, what was it, Panadine Fort originally? And I was just skull and nose, like no business. Yeah. And after seeing an osteopath, actually, she was like, look, I actually 
believe you've got protruding discs. I don't care what the doctor says. This is nerve pain. You need to get an MRI ASAP. So didn't they do that when they took no. you to the hospital well, they originally? Well, they didn't know it was my neck. They were focused on my heart, right? Oh, okay. And once the heart beat was good, they're like, okay, you can go on your merry way. Oh like, you know, cracked, free, you know, fractured my ribs, yeah. dislocated shoulders. They're like, you just, you just banged up, mate. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think they probably didn't, I don't know what they did, but they, yeah, no clue. Not, yeah. No one was looking at my neck. Did you hit your head though? Oh, yeah. So you, like, um, you would think that you if would, someone has would. hit their head, anyway... They didn't. They didn't. They, <laughs> they didn't. didn't look. And that's then, okay. Yeah. That's all right. But so the it wasn't osteo. until three months later right. that we found out it was protruding discs. Wow. Yeah. And then so what What happened from there? They just put me on pharmaceutical painkillers. That was the, that's all they said they could do? The inst- My GP was like, this is what we need to do. So they put me on Endone, Targan and Lyrica. Um, so these <laughs> are some pretty intense yeah. painkillers. And... You know, being at the knowledge I was back then, I had a lot of trust. I was like, no worries, doc. Like, give me, yeah. what, give me what you can to stop this pain. Because when you're in that much pain, you just, you just want it to stop. Uh, uh, 100%. But this is when the mental health issues really started to arise because unfortunately a lot of these pharmaceutical drugs also have side effects and they have neurological side effects. And with any drug, as some people, listeners may know, that you have a dose and your body gets used to it. So you need to increase that dose. Now, along this journey, I did go see a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, this is why I didn't get surgery. So it was, when I saw the surgeon, I was 26 at this time, I think. Yeah, 26. And he just said, look, this is one of the worst injuries I've seen. Um, he's like, thank God you're young. We can wow. do the surgery. And obviously, I'm going to ask, like, what are the risks? Yeah. He's like, I won't lie to you. They're bad. There's a 25% chance of becoming a quadriplegic. Oh, my God. How do you even consider? Well, it's one in four. Like, yeah. I've, I've bet on worse odds than one, yeah. right? Like, I was just like, I don't know if I want to bet on that. Like, okay. that's being paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah. Because what they need to do is they need to cut through the throat and then go to the back of the neck and fuse the disc. So they're cutting part of the disc that are protruding out off. But if they touch one nerve incorrectly, yeah. you, you shut it down, right? So <laughs> it was a lot to take on. Yeah. And I'm just looking. And he he could see me. He could mm. see that I was just in this state of like fear. Oh. And he was, an, and I, I really loved this guy because he could have been like, you're easy money, like let's just do the surgery. But he could see that he's a young man having to make a decision for his life. And what was really crazy about the surgery is that there's a thing called dissegmentation. So even if the surgery is successful, 10 to 15 years down the track, if you think of your disc like a link, like a chain, and you take some of those links out of the chain, so one above and below it have to take on the force of those missing mm. links. And eventually they wear out. So dissegmentation means that you need to get the surgery again on the ones above and below it. And every time you fuse a disc, you're losing about 10% of mobility. Yeah. So straight away, I'm losing 30%. Mm-hmm. in my neck yeah and then 10 or 15 years i'm losing another 20 so i'm almost losing 40 to 50 percent of mobility and i'll barely like i'd be moving yeah. around like yeah you'd have to move your shoulder like your like whole, frankenstein yeah. like just not being able to move and i'm just yeah. like well i, I want to have kids and yeah. i want to be a mobile dad like mm-hmm. i shouldn't have to think about that at 26 but i'm thinking yeah. about these decisions and he goes look once you cut it you can't go back mm. 
So let's try everything else first because this is your last resort. Yeah. And I'm really glad he said that. Yeah. So along the journey of exploring so many different alternative therapies Mm -hmm. to heal this pain, like to the point where I was trying some pretty crazy stuff. Like I was laying on beds of nails and getting poked by a volcanic rock. Um, Yeah, like that's a thing. (laughs) Sounds delightful. Uh, um, But like, you know, I couldn't get a massage. Like it was too painful to lay on the bed with your your head in that position. I was just, everything was so painful. The chiropractor couldn't adjust me. He's like, it's too risky. So I just... Yeah, I just started looking, I just started heavily relying on these drugs. Mm-hmm. And the drugs are the ones with the side effects that were so, then in turn so causing the, depression. Unfortunately, my GP didn't tell me the main three. I had to figure this out for myself once it hit me because what happened is I started to experience these th- major three symptoms. Side of, symptoms or side yeah. effects of them was depression, loss of concentration and confusion, and suicidal inclinations. Right. And I've never had suicidal inclinations mm-hmm. and I've never had to the point where I'm so lost and confused where I've even forgot who my mum was at one point wow. um, I was just like blank who are you and yeah. she's like that's a that's a scary thing oh all right because now they've shown that Lyrica if taken for a certain amount of time is and has a correlation to Alzheimer's wow and, and this was one of the drugs that you were putting I was on. heavily on this stuff wow. I was on 600 milligrams a day wow and there was one point where I accidentally took too much. I thought it was a small dose, but it was a high dose. And I, I ended up taking, oh gosh, I think it was 800 or, mm-hmm. and I was working at this time. Mm-hmm. I was in a, I was a um, business development manager. Um, and I took, took them and I knew like about 20 minutes later that it kicked in. I was like, this is, this is heavy. Like <laughs> I am, I am right. high as a kite right now <laughs> at work. And the receptionist, had a call from my client. She's like, Mitch, your client's on the call. I was like, no, I put him through. So in the time frame, she converted the call to my phone. I had answered the phone and I had one forgotten where I was and two, who was on the phone. And I was like, Hey mum, how are you going? Oh no. And my boss, cause this is a, this is a pretty important client. was like, what are you doing? Like, oh. that's not your mum. And I looked at him like, what? Huh? Like confused. Like yeah. and he could see my pupils were just like, yeah. and he grabbed the phone, saved the day, made some, bullshit excuse and got out of it. And then he's like, what are you on? Yeah. And I just like broke down because not none of my bosses knew I was going through this. Oh. Cause I was scared I was going to get fired. Yeah. So here I am like just trying to survive to continue having some form of income. Mm-hmm. And this is a cool thing is my boss is now my mentor. Yeah. Right. Um, and he pulled me in. He's like, look, man, and I, I ended up quitting. I was like, I can't keep up. Obviously, mm-hmm. my performance is dropping. This is happening. I shared it with all, and they just were like, dude, how long has this been going for? I'm like, months. Like, yeah. And so they gave me, you know, leave with pay, which was beautiful. Aww. They're like, please just go get better. Yeah. Um, but that's how intense the drugs are. Yeah. And, you know, endone, I was on that eight endone a day. Like, it was like candy for me. Wow. And I literally became a pharmaceutical drug addict because yeah. I remember once, and this was when, it was close to the point where I was like, let's just get the surgery. My mum was hiding the drugs from me because she knew that I was just probably taking more than I should. And one night, I think it was early, early in the morning, like 3 a.m., something around that. And I was scrounging around the kitchen because I knew there was somewhere there. Mm-hmm. My mum came out. It's like, what are you doing? 
I was like, where are the drugs? And she's like, you've had your dose for today. You don't need any more. And I was like, I can't sleep. I'm in so much pain. And she's like, you're not getting them. Like I'm, and, you know, I'm not proud of it, but like I physically abused my mum. Mm. And that was a huge wake-up call. Like I'm like, oh, oh, shit, I am not in control here. Yeah. And that was scary for me. Because I love my mum. Like, it's never been that. It's like, but I have huge empathy for addicts. Because I'm like, I kind of went there. And I was like, you're just not in control. Like, it's the drug that is in control. Mm -hmm. The pain's in control. You're just not. You're literally just in the passenger seat going for a drive. Like, and it's hard. And that's what my parents said. You literally became a shell of yourself. So they could see their son withering away. Yeah. And the mental health just really just came on. And so I went to the doctor's. And I was like, I am struggling mentally. Mm-hmm. And they just wrote a script out for antidepressants. Oh. And it was in that moment, for me anyway, I think there is some, I'm, I'm, I will say this, like I think there is a time and a place that they are needed. Absolutely. Right? I'm not against them. But in my situation, all I just said is like, look, you gave me these drugs and now you're recommending this drug because of these drugs. Yeah. And I just, in my head, I was like, you're just like a, pill pusher bro like yeah and it upset me and i verbally abused my doctor and walked out and never went back okay um and said i need like because i was so heavily reliant on someone else externally to help me heal Mm -hmm. and in that moment i was like if i'm gonna get over this it's all me yeah like i have to i have to really look into this yeah definitely and unfortunately like the story of that you've just told in terms of you know being prescribed a, mm. a drug and then the side effects affecting someone's mental health and then them then being prescribed an antidepressant is actually a lot more common than I'd, I'd like to think that it is. But, yeah. and I just, I don't know where to, to fix this because it's like, like I understand GP, GPs can't, like mm. they're not superheroes. Like they are seeing so many people every single day. They're not specialised in everything, but I just feel like there needs to be, you know, you should have been able to go back to your GP in that instance and said, these are the symptoms I'm having. They're likely from this. What else? Like Mm -hmm. what is another alternative rather than giving me another um, drug to take? What else? Like I just feel like they should have looked at that first. I think back then as well, because like a lot has changed since yeah. then, and we do need a collaborative approach medically um, to support this. And you know, I think we are doing much better in that in that space because, like you said, doctors only have like fifteen minutes per consult. Yeah. You're not going to be able to discuss how's your lifestyle, what are you doing, what's your diet. You just don't. They don't have the time for it, and they're yeah. not they're not specialized in nutrition in that area. Yeah, they they specialize in you know a lot of it in the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, um, and some of those are needed. But when we can have what, what upsets me and what I would really like to see from a healthcare system is to say, look, here is a prescription for this, but here is also a plan to get off it. Mm, mm-hmm. Here is a holistic plan because we can't, but the pharmaceutical industry doesn't want that. That's losing money. So, exactly. but that's, that's really, yeah. I've got no um, judgment to people taking it. No. But we should have an approach to get off it. Yeah. And I didn't have an approach. Yeah. So I had to go figure that out for myself. And you were also originally, the first time you were diagnosed, also handed a script straight away. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 
uh, and I have said this before when I talk about my journey, was that was offered to me also the very mm. first time when I was like 18, 19. And my mum was like, let's just see what we can do without it before we go down that road, which I'm grateful for. And again, like you have no issue with anyone using them. I just think we shouldn't be so script happy. Yeah, willing. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, it should be a last option kind of thing. Um, and what one thing we, we do see, and, you know, this is the great thing about science is we're evolving and we're learning more mm. about the, the mind, the brain, the, the neurological system, is that we know that when the body's chronically inflamed, we have these um, things called cytokines. So they're pro-inflammation proteins. And you think that if I'm in chronic nerve pain, there's a lot of inflammation going in my body. Mm. And when it's not being able to stop, where does that inflammation go? These cytokines go through the bloodstream and they end up crossing the blood-brain barrier, mm -hmm. causing the mind to be inflamed, which then shows symptoms of mental health. Wow. So they know this scientifically, that if the body's on fire, they use it as a kind of like inflammation fire, the, the brain, the mind becomes and goes, gets on fire too. Yeah. So the question is, well, do we just approach the mental health or do we actually try to get rid of the fire and extinguish the fire? Um, and the body naturally tries to do so many things to support that, but we have to really approach it. And this is why we see a lot of gut health issues mm -hmm. that is also correlated with mental health issues. We see a lot of autoimmune issues correlated with mental health issues because the body's just inflamed. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a great uh, book called um, The Inflamed Mind. Mm -hmm. I forget who the author is, but they were basically saying by 2040, depression will be the number one cause of disability. That's not that far away. No. But they understand. Why do they understand that? Because our culture, the way we live, uh, we're seeing a lot of inflammation diseases happening in the body that's causing this form of depression. Yeah. Now, that being said, clinical depression is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So we've got to really understand, you know, not everyone is like inflamed in the body and that's causing mental health issues. But for me, it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's why I just want to really be clear on that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's and I've only learned this stuff way down the track. Yeah. I had no idea when I was going through it. Um, but I was just I was just dumbfounded. I, just, I felt lost for words. Yeah. Yeah. So that would have been probably, I mean, to have had that interaction with the doctor mm. and left and never gone back, I imagine that you would have felt quite, I guess, lost or quite um frustrated in like well, what what's next yeah that's a good question and i was definitely in that and mm -hmm. you feel hopeless and not only do you feel hopeless or i felt hopeless in my body and my ability but i could definitely feel how much it was draining my loved ones mm. and that hurt even more yeah because i just i was unable to do anything like you know, here is, you know, a young man that used to be able to go to the gym like every day, even two times a week, play for Australia, fit, athletic, had ambition towards, you know, going into business. And then all of a sudden it just crashed immediately. Mm. And I just became someone I just didn't know. Yeah. And I hated myself for it. I hated how much I was putting so much stress on my mom and my dad, um, even to the point where my dad and I really became apart. Because he didn't know, this is this is kind of earlier on, but he didn't know how much pain I was in. And it wasn't until the neurosurgeon called my dad in 
because he was like willing to write me out of the wheel. Like we had that many fights about this. And that's another thing that puts on mental health, right? There's so many aspects and facets towards Mm. what's going on. Um, But he brought my dad in and basically put my dad under the pain that I was in on purpose. Oh. Yeah, it was really cool. How? he, He like has this device that okay. he like poked him with. Oh, so for the first time he actually truly understands. He felt nerve pain. what you were feeling. Pain He's like, ah, oh. he goes, your son's in that 24-7. Wow. Yeah. And thank God he did that because my dad just hugged me and was just like, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's an invisible injury. Yeah. And mental health is an invisible injury. And this is the thing. I was having a great chat with my friend who's a manager and he's like, look, I know what to do if one of my employees cuts their hand. Mm-hmm. First aid kit, wrap it up, lodge it, send them to hospital, done. Mm-hmm. I have no clue what to do if my employee calls me up and said I can't get out of bed. Yeah. He's like, what do I do? Like, and it's like, but that's that's what our people are going through. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like the stigma to it still attached to it is people aren't talking. And it's mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's rampant. So I've got a lot of empathy. Mm-hmm. towards people really going through it, mm-hmm. whatever diagnosis you want to call it, but mm-hmm. mental health in general. Yeah. Um, and that feeling of like I can relate to that feeling of when you're feeling down in yourself and, you know, you're feeling useless or hopeless or no good and all of those things and then you start to see how it's affecting your family mm. and, of course, they love you and they support you and they're going to be there, but that compounding mm. on top of how you feel already is horrible. Yeah, the Buddhists call it the second sword, right? It's okay. like because you have shame. Yeah. And shame is the lowest frequency energetically of an emotion that one can live with. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a there's a guy named uh, David Hawkins who measured emotions on a frequency scale. It's called the scale of a consciousness. Mm. Um, going from shame all the way to the lowest form, all the way to Christ consciousness enlightenment, 700 to 1,000 hertz. Okay, love is like 540. You've got really positive ones. But if you have shame about your situation, you're literally getting the sword, the first sword that hurt you, you're getting it out and stabbing yourself again, basically. Yeah. That's what the Buddhists call the second sword. Okay. And we do it, we're doing that all the time. Yeah, all the time. All the time. And like I, like I can stand here right now and be like, we shouldn't feel shame around mental health. Like I know that. Like the smart part mm. of my brain knows that, but the part of my brain when I'm not at the top of my game and I am feeling down and I am depressed doesn't really listen to it. You know, it's hard to... And it's, it, it is hard, but once you understand how intelligent mm. the body is, because mm. these emotions aren't bad. Mm-hmm. I think we look at them as bad. We judge them as bad. And then these emotions that are higher in a frequency like joy and love and peace, they're not good. They're just real. And when we can understand that they're just real and that you and I experience all of them at different times, that's okay. We're human beings having a human experience. And the shame, the guilt, all that, that's a protective mechanism. It's like you're not good at the moment, so I'm gonna, you're going to feel this so you can isolate to heal. Mm-hmm. But we never isolate to heal. We just isolate mm. in our culture. Yes, definitely. Right? So... This is, this is something that we as a culture need to accept and learn that once we feel these emotions, mm-hmm. that's the body communicating us, there's healing need to be done now. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. 
So good. Right? Yeah. I never got taught that. No. No, no one does. <laughs> no. What, in, in high school, my, at my public high school, definitely wasn't teaching me that. Of I can tell you not. that much. <laughs> no, but I, I'm so grateful that I've gone through all of this and have healed mm. myself, which we'll probably get to in a minute. But now I get to hold and guide gracefully mm. with my clients. And just that perspective change is a game changer. Yeah, yeah. Because it takes that second sword off. Yeah. Let's place that down and let's just deal with the actual sword itself, yeah. like the actual pain you're going through because it's real and it's understandable and it's okay. Yeah. A lot of compassion can come into that situation. Yeah. So, yeah. So you mentioned before that you had had um, suicidal mm. um, inclinations. Was that the right the word yeah. that you used? How did that show up for you? Is that are we on the same timeline? It was close, very there? similar. When you said, "Are you know lost?" and and yeah. yeah, like it just got to the point where I was like, "I don't know what to do." And seeing how much you know pain I was causing my loved ones, that and this is when you just become so numb, like you become so disassociated, disconnected with yourself, and no joy in your life. The things, the simple things that gave you joy, you just don't have anymore, and that's a very like depressive symptom. Mm-hmm. And I remember. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah a little bit kind of similar timeline. I went to dinner with my little brother with a couple and he was studying at university at the time and he was uh, studying agricultural science and so passionate. Mm-hmm. And I'm just there in pain, quiet, and I'm just seeing these people laugh, full of passion, and I couldn't relate. Mm-hmm. I just felt dead inside. And I just felt like I was just being such a drag. Yeah. I'm like, what's the point of me being here? And that's when it was really clicking for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I am no use to anyone. And that plays on your mind. And it was actually that night. And, you know, I'm so comfortable to share this because I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went through it. But that was the night that I was just like, let's let's just go. Like, let's take, stop being a burden to everyone. Yeah. And just leave. Yeah. And I was like... Do I take all my drugs at once mm. and overdose? I was like, okay, I'll do that. And But then on the drive home, I was swerving in and around poles as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. And every time I got so close, like I was crying. I was so emotional because I'm like, this is it. Yeah. But I was crying because I'm like, I'm leaving everyone. And it was really intense, but something was something in me. I just couldn't do it because obviously... I didn't want to bring that on my parents. And I think that was the only thing that stopped me, which was frustrating. I was pissed off about that because I'm just like, you know, fuck you guys. Like Mm -hmm. you're because of how much I love you, I'm sticking around, but I'm still going to be in pain. My situation is going to get any better. Yeah. I was so angry at them for keeping me alive. Yeah. Which sounds so weird. I know, like, you know, in the fact that, you know, we're sat here discussing it, it's like, thank God. That that was the case, yeah. you know, but I can like, yeah, like when you talk about the like swerving on the roads and stuff like that, I when I talk through what, when I've had feelings before, I probably have never physically actually done that. But, you know, when you drive past a stopey pole and you just kind of look at it and I'd be like, hmm, it'd be, it'd be easier. You fantasize a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So like I understand like when you explain that and, you know, to have gotten to a point where you're in your head like thinking, oh, how am I going to do it? Mm. You know, you know, am I going to do A or B? So, you know, that's 
you know, it's, you know, right at that like peak of, you know, the worst possible mind pl- mindset that you can be in. Yeah. And here I am brought up in a great family, never assumed that I would go down this pathway, but pain, pain's pain and pain's relative. Like mm. it's nothing to be compared to. It's what you're going through and it's intense and it's exhausting and it can really screw you up. Yeah. Um, and so this is what I now obviously went through it for a greater reason than I knew at the time. And I get to help people mm-hmm. through that. And it's such a blessing. Yeah. Um, I never thought I'd be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously that was in the evening. Yes. Did you tell anyone? No, no, I didn't. So what I did is I was living in Glenelg at the time with my friend, Glenelg North, right next to the beach. Yep. And so I, I got home and I was like, all right, I'll just take the drugs. Mm-hmm. But I had something in me, like go to the beach. <laughs> so I went to the beach. This was probably like midnight. And I just had it out at God. Mm-hmm. Like, because I got brought up in a home that said, God loves you, protects you, wants the best for you. And here I am, been in pain for God knows how long, many years, literally becoming a shell of myself. I'm like, you don't love me. Like everything that I believe just wasn't, being shown in my life. Mm-hmm. So I'm yelling, verbally abusing, like just having it out mm-hmm. with the universe, with God, whatever you want to call it, to the point where I got so exhausted that I dropped to my knees and I was weeping, like weeping and crying. That's probably the best thing I could have done because mm-hmm. I've got this emotion mm. out of me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we teach that either. We think there, 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 it's okay, it's okay. No, no, we need to express this stuff and we need to express it verbally and in a very somatic way soma meaning in the body so it's an actual bodily experience mm-hmm. this is why like primal screaming is amazing this is why intense breath works amazing to help with releasing trauma out of the body i didn't know that at the time i was just doing it naturally mm-hmm. and instinctively and what i that was a, ter- a big turning point for me there was i in that moment probably experienced God for my first time. Um, and it sounds esoterical and weird and spiritual and woo-woo, but it was this full embracement that just felt like a huge hug, mm. like someone was holding me mm-hmm. while I was crying. Mm-hmm. And I got to, got to lean into that and release more and more and more. I didn't feel alone. And Which is huge. It was massive because I felt alone yeah. this, this whole time. No one understood what I was going through. Mm. And just that energy itself gave me hope. And But then I was still in this very victimhood mentality. But then I was leaning into this energy. I was like, but yeah, why? Why am I going through this? Mm. What have I done to deserve this? Why me? Please, please, mm. please, please take this away from me. I can't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. Just in that moment. And, you know, thinking in my logical mind, oh, if God really sees my heart here, he'll just snap his fingers and I'll be healed. That didn't happen, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but what, I, what did happen was wisdom really kicked in. Okay. Like a loving, loving wisdom. And just basically said, I've got you. I was like, okay, I felt that. Mm-hmm. And I just sat with it and cried more. And then this message just really dropped in my heart. And I found it really confusing at the time, but I get it now saying miracles don't provide maturity. Mm-hmm. This is something I teach a lot because we live in an instant gratification society. We want something, we can get it. Mm. But we want healing, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. 
and that we struggle with that and we get into a place of blame guilt and shame why me and if you're in a victimhood mentality it's very difficult to heal Mm -hmm. so what that showed me was then chewing on that and i i went home and slept it off and didn't go through anything and um it was i did tell my parents like a couple weeks later and that was really tough i imagine Um, like i i've never been speechless like went to talk and say, hey, and then nothing came out. And I just cried. And my parents were like, what are going on? Mm-hmm. And so they were so supportive. But through that miracles don't provide maturity, I then also learned this beautiful saying that was also touched, touched my heart was, this is no longer happening to me. This is happening for me. Mm-hmm. And that perspective change gave me hope. I'm like, there's a bigger reason. Mm-hmm. Bigger yeah. reason. I don't know what that reason is right now, but just mm-hmm. just... Take on the next day. You don't know what's going to happen. And that just gave me hope for the first time in years. Yeah. So, yeah, that brought some life back. That would have been huge. Mm, mm. So then what did the the healing process look like for you? So that was how long ago? So I got injured in 2013, September. And probably at this time on the beach was around 2000 in early 2016 or late 2015. Okay, so that's about six years ago, yeah. ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, obviously, you've you've had that moment, and then things have started to turn around. Mm. What did that process look like? I tell everyone, and I'm not ashamed to tell it. Like, it really came to a spiritual surrender, um, and really seeking what and who God is for me. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting because I went to like, used to go to these like Pentecostal churches for any listeners that would know what that looks like. Uh, but I used to go to like healing conferences and jump into that and I'd you know, get into like people praying for healing over me and I wouldn't get healed. Okay. And so that would bring more disappointment. And the church got to the point where I, I became too hard mm-hmm. for them. Oh. And they were just like, just go get the surgery. Oh. But I deep down, I was like, no, like I'm too risky. And One I, in four. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I felt really rejected. Oh, yeah, um, and okay. that can happen. I get it. Um, I'm not saying all, all churches are bad, but for me, it was that experience. I'm like, I need to get away from this mm-hmm. this culture because this culture doesn't get what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was just like, cool, I need to leave this institution, but I'm not going to leave God. Yeah. And so that the healing really started with me really just in prayer and in meditation and in worship and like two to three times a day, like two to three hours a day. Like wow. just because I had nothing else to do. Yeah. Like I'm like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to see if this is real. Yeah. And, it, and for me it is like it yeah. saved my life. And what was beautiful about that is I believe in this saying is when the student's ready, the teacher appears. Mm-hmm. So this is where it game changer. So, you know, after trying, and that was probably a few months doing that mm-hmm. and still trying alternative therapies, still being in pain. Um, still on painkillers mm. uh, just to get me by, but not as much. Like I was now being like just just when I needed it. And the antidepressants? Or no, just, I no, didn't have an antidepressant. So I've yeah. never had that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did end up getting on weed though. Okay. Uh, which was hilarious um, <laughs> because, 
you know, I was like, no, the gateway drug. Um, <laughs> but my friends were like, dude, you're taking a chemical shitstorm every day. Yeah. Like, here's an organic bud, bro. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Um, I love how I just sound like an absolute. St- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why did your voice stoner? change just <laughs> when then? I said that? Um, but honestly, that was that was helpful. Yeah. It really. It was the first time I slept and woke up not feeling groggy. Because yeah. I was also taking Targan, which is the brother of what we call a nickname, the brother of heroin. So they give it to heroin addicts to taper off, right? But that was what knocked me out so I could sleep. Right. So you could imagine Lyrica, Targan, Endone yeah. doing some things. And I felt so groggy throughout the day. But then weed, I, I didn't feel that. And yeah. I was like, okay, cool. And that helped me to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and But nothing was getting better. Yeah. And I, at the time, have had two cortisone injections in my neck as well. That didn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just said to my mom, look, I have faith now mm-hmm. that maybe I don't heal naturally and I just get the surgery. I'm, I've started to come to peace with it. Okay. So I'm like, we need to book in for the surgery, which was hard. Mm. I had my third cortisone injection and booked in for the surgery. Mm-hmm. And it was a week prior to surgery um, that my mum was like, hey, look, there's a guy from, I don't know, he's an American guy coming to Adelaide to speak on health and he believes that you can heal anything through the food you eat. Okay. And I just literally laughed and I was like, (laughs) bullshit, mum, I've tried everything. Yeah. No, I hadn't. I just thought I did. And so I went to this this, um, seminar for three hours and I still remember like, at that time being in pain, I could only sit with my head in my lap. So that would like crouching over so that I could be in some form of not being in too much pain because sitting upright was too painful. Oh. Right. So it was like the only position it took the, took the pressure off my neck mm-hmm. and I'm crying through this three hours. It felt like 15 minutes because no practitioner, no alternative therapist had ever talked to me about fasting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll give that a go. And I looked at my mum and was like, let's hold the surgery mm-hmm. and let me give this a red hot crack first. I want to try everything. You know, I never want to live a life what if. And, yeah, I went down the detox cleansing and fasting pathway. Yeah. And that was a huge turning point. So I went cold turkey on my drugs. Wow. And did for 28 weeks, went down this pathway. Okay. Yeah. That's 28 weeks. It's that's like, over half a year. Yeah. 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 Commitment. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like you said, like if the surgery was going to be last, the last thing, then what's half a year? Yeah. You know, to commit to this to see if you got any results. And I went all in. Like this is this is like yeah, I did colon cleansing. I did mm-hmm. enemas. I did colonics. I did mm-hmm. um, liver and gallbladder flushes. I did kidney flushes. I did extended juice cleanses. I started water fasting. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I was also doing the things that my mentor taught me. And he's just like, you need to walk. Mm -hmm. And every doctor said, don't do anything. Just be still. Like, you need to rest. And he's like, no, 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 no. You need to move. Mm -hmm. You need to get some circulation. And you need to be out in the sunshine, like, all the time. And you need to be grounding your naked feet on the grass or the sand. And I didn't know at the time, but grounding, earthing, is the simple yet the most profound anti-inflammatory out there mm. than any any drug, than any food. 
no dog he's like he's like dude just be out on be in nature be on the earth and that will help and it was yeah and i had no idea he didn't tell me that but i've learned this and so yeah it was 28 weeks of doing all these crazy things and rituals and being cold turkey and feeling all of it because i wanted to feel if this was working yeah right without it being masked yeah. by anything yeah i was like let's just see if this stuff and i remember the day i woke up i walked into the kitchen completely like dumbfounded a little bit on my face and my mum looked at me she's like you okay and i was like yeah i <laughs> i think so she's like what's up i'm like i don't feel any pain and it was the first time i got goosebumps saying that a little yeah. bit emotional um it was the first time i didn't feel pain for three and a half years wow that is like incredible yeah mum and my mum and i just like burst into tears and hugged each Aww. other it was just it was such a um yeah a, a milestone moment yeah and how long into the 28 weeks was this how long like that was at that point at the end of 28 weeks oh, that was like okay. when i finally oh. i was like i think i've i've reached healing wow yeah that's incredible yeah so for the whole 28 weeks i was still in pain right and then you had this this morning yeah. and then like did you can it like it, what happened to the pain <laughs> where did it go uh look like look there, there was still you know i couldn't sleep on my left side there was yeah. still tension um because your your muscular system after all that also changes and mm. you've got to really undo all the damage but mm. yeah like nothing nerve pain it was more yeah. muscular tension than anything else that must have been such a wonderful moment to have shared with your mum at that time though because you'd been down this path together mm. for so long prior to get to that point must have been yeah it was massive and I continued I was like let's mm -hmm. see how far I can take this and so you know I, I ended up going to Bali and doing juice cleansers and going on retreats and learning about breath work and mm -hmm. even did extended water fasting so like mm -hmm. i've for those who don't really understand that that's not eating anything but just drinking water and the longest one i did was 20 days which is like mind-blowing to me yeah, you think people think if i don't eat for a day i'll die yeah. um, but i didn't eat for 20 days yeah yeah so i just think there is so much about the body mm and what it needs or how it functions or what it doesn't need that we just as the lay person or your average joe just don't know mm. like even just from the conversations i've had with you this evening like i feel like i've learned a lot like mm. you know because yeah if someone was to say to me i'm going to go without any food and only drink water for 20 days i'd be like won't you die like that isn't my they question. Might, they might like, if they haven't prepared properly yeah. and they don't know what they're doing. But yeah. I at that time knew exactly what I was doing. I had done like three, five, seven, 14 day water fast. I had I'd done a yeah. lot of fasting before going on a very extended fast. Mm -hmm. But for me, I look at fasting as a very spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. You look at every culture, every um, indigenous culture, every um, tribe, every religion, there's mm -hmm. fasting in there. Mm -hmm. And for what reason? It's to, what they say is to kill the flesh the fleshly desires and for to, to become weak so that you rely on your spirit. Yeah. Right? So you can connect back to that and let that lead you again. And truly when you go that long and if you have that type of belief, it is true. But what was great about it, and I keep telling people because people then like, oh, maybe I'll just go fast. It's like <laughs> you've got to come back down to the foundation 
of what really helped me. And that was coming from a place of fully feeling love by a greater energy than myself and connecting to that daily and then doing principles and lifestyle principles that supported the healing. So going to bed at the right time, rising up with the sun, grounding, drinking good filtered water, eating lots of whole food, plant-based, mm. you know, and I'm not plant-based anymore, but I was plant-based then. Mm. Um, minerally rich, dense foods that are organic and not sprayed with, you know, so much crap and on our food these days. Um, having filtered air, um, really regulating my nervous system, doing all these things mm. before all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to bring it back to the foundation because like, I don't want your listeners to go, well, shit, if I'm going to heal, I've got to go to a 20 day water fast. No, that's that's pretty... not what we're recommending. No, no, no. So that's very, <laughs> very extreme. But yeah. I was already healed from nerve pain mm. before that 20 day water fast. I just wanted to do that to see if, if I could do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then after that, I followed that with 20 days on juices. Yeah. I remember seeing you do this actually on the gram, I think. Yeah, but um, I then got diagnosed with PTSD after that. From? So I had a bit of a scare that I don't tell a lot of people, okay. but I'm so open to it I'm now. like, now you're going to tell the whole world. <laughs> no, 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 no. How many? <laughs> this is going out into the web. Um, so on day 20 of my water fast, because uh, I did this in Byron Bay in a tent, Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone knows what enemas are, but I'm doing enemas in a tent. Mm-hmm. I'm walking to the toilet with water up my my butt, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do it in a lush environment, but a good friend of ours was with us, and he's like, I think we're day seventeen. He's like, look, I've air- I've hired an Airbnb. I was doing it with a friend of mine. He did twenty days with me. Uh, he's like, you guys can rest in some luxury on day eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. We're like, okay, cool. Day twenty, there was a beautiful bath a big spa. I was like, you know what? Mm. I'm going to have a bath and like Epsom salts, lavender oil. And I thought it'd be fine because I did a sauna on day 18. I was great. Mm. But I love scorching hot baths. Mm. And I just forgot that I'd also lost 11 kilos. So like right now I'm almost 79 and a half. And at that time I started the fast at 69 kilos. So I was already skinny because I was like healing. And so I was down to 58 kilos. Like, yeah. Skinny. It's like there's no there's there's no fat on me, right? <laughs> yeah. To to buffer the heat. Yeah. I didn't know that. I went to the bath and about twenty to thirty minutes later, I was like, Man, I'm getting hot. Mm. I was sweating profusely and I was like, oh, okay, I think I'm time to time to get out of the bath. I'm I'm dust. And at that moment, my hands, it's gonna be very hard for your listeners to see this, but I'm gonna try to explain it. They started to really um cramp up and mm. go and turn into fists. And then I started getting into like my body started to basically I heated my body from the inside out. Wow. I, co- I, I internally cooked myself. Like a lobster. Yeah. You lobstered yourself. Pretty much lobstered myself. I wouldn't be as delicious as a lobster. <laughs> but um, And I knew I was so clear in my mind, but my body started shutting down. I was like, all right, take the, take the plug out of the, the tub mm-hmm. so you don't pass out and drown. Okay, now time to get out and get some cold water in the shower. And I did that and I was like crying making my way to the shower, barely being able to move because every second I started going worse and worse and worse. Mm. Cold shower on, I passed out, woke back up. I'm on the tiled floor of the bathroom. I'm in a fetal position, unable to move. And then I go temporarily blind. Oh, my God. And then I was like, oh, shit. And at that moment, I'm like, I'm dying. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm dying. Yeah. And I was like, oh, mate, you. And in my head, I'm like, 
you dickhead. <laughs> like, here you are saying, I'm going to do a 20-day fast to connect with God and you're going to see him. Like, you're gone. Yeah. You're literally leaving the earth. And yeah. I was like, I didn't want it this way. I did not want it this way. I didn't way. mean it I didn't like that. I plan it like this. Um, and so I'm having this conversation in my head and I was like, oh, yell out to my friends because I was upstairs so downstairs and I couldn't speak. Mm. I'd lost all motor neuro function in my body. Mm-hmm. All I could do was make a grunting noise. Mm-hmm. And thank God they heard me and they ran out and they just see me stark naked, (laughs) completely in fetal position, (laughs) blind, can't speak. And they're just like, and they, they got ice. One of the guys like, you've cooked yourself. He just knew that I'd done Mm -hmm. so. So they got ice through all over me, cooled me down. And they tried to get my legs, unlock my legs and put it up to get blood flow to, they had two grown men couldn't undo my legs. Wow. I had no control. Yeah. All I could do was breathe and hear. Oh, my goodness. They're like, just breathe, Mitch, just breathe. It took two hours for me to come undone. Wow. And as soon as I came undone, I cried. Like, I was just yeah. completely a mess. And when I came to, I was like, boys, why didn't you call the ambulance? Yeah. Like, do you know what the response was? <laughs> They're like, well, like, if we did and you died, then that would give water fasting a really bad name. Oh, my and God. I was like, you... <laughs> Are not my friends. What the hell, man? Um, but we had it like I was, I was, and I was like, okay, cool. And like I, I did a hike after that the next day, and I was juicing. Okay. Like I was like, but I was in pain. I had torn all the tendons in the back of my legs. I didn't realize. I, was, I just thought I just did Ouch. some pain. But day 38, 39, and forty of my juice cleanse because I continued yeah. to juice. I was like bedridden, mm. really low, depressed, and I was like, I should be feeling fucking amazing, mm. like. Something's not right. So I went to a bioresonance therapist. I don't know. For those who don't know, you can look into it. Um, but they can measure your organs and everything going on. So I just want to check. And she's like, look, your liver, your digestion, your immune system, best I've ever seen. I was like, well, so it should be. I haven't eaten for 40 days. Mm. She's like, but your nervous system is the worst I've ever seen. Mm. You're, you're reading worse than someone who's got chronic PTSD. Wow. And I was like, oh. she's like, did you have a trauma recently? And I was like, what? You know, like 20 days ago, I almost died in a bathtub. Um, She's like, what? So I've then had to now healed nerve pain. Mm. And now I've had to learn about healing PTSD and fatigue and burnout and all these other symptoms that come with it. And the, the emotional roller coaster of trauma and mental health that came back with all this. And I was like, fuck, like, (laughs) give me a break. Do I have to go through this again? But I'm so grateful that I have because it's taught me how to really approach healing and evolving Mm -hmm. in a very calm, compassionate, graceful way that the nervous system can handle. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do now. I don't really put people on extended fast. I don't Mm -hmm. do cleansing or detox. I used to. I used to work with people with chronic diseases and do that. Mm -hmm. But... I think we we're talking about it on the couch. Mm-hmm. I was like, but it really frustrated me because I'd see people, you know, same cancer, similar age, same protocol, one would heal and one wouldn't. And that pissed me off. And I was like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And it came down to this person was regulating their nervous system, was very compassionate to themselves and had a belief system. And this person didn't. Yeah. And it's a big, big part in healing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, let's just focus on that. And now that's all I do. And I've got like, beautiful testimonies with people just in four to six weeks with mental health issues really seeing some life force and nerve force come back in their system and i'm just like without cleansing detoxing or fasting Mm -hmm. which is profound for me like i love it yeah so obviously you use these 
skills to look after your own mental health yeah. and you use it also for your clients. Mm-hmm. What type of things are you doing? Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, it comes down to the kind of like I have a four pillar system. Mm-hmm. And so it comes down to first, which is like nervous system regulation, emotional regulation. I call that breathe. Mm-hmm. So it comes, come, come back to the body. Mm-hmm. What, what's your body feeling in this moment? If your body, if you're feeling anxious, what emotion with anxiety are you feeling? Is it fear? Is it guilt? Is there shame? Is there apathy? Is it what is it? And can we just give ourselves permission to feel that for a bit, not try to get rid of it? And there's a, what I teach is that there's a first law of thermodynamics, which basically says energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only be transmuted. Mm-hmm. We are energetic beings. We're emotional beings. Okay, emotions, energy, and motion. So you can't create an energy. I want, I'm going to create love. You can't do that. You, you can't create or, or um, destroy fear, okay? But you can um, dissipate it, mm-hmm. take the electrical charge away from it and transmute it. The only way to dissipate that is feel it. Mm-hmm. You have to feel to heal, mm-hmm. right? And you hear that saying a lot. But we don't like feeling that. Mm. So this is where we have these coping mechanisms or addictions that actually regulate artificially our nervous system. Yeah. That's why we have so much addiction to social media, pornography, drugs, work, mm-hmm. relationships, toxic relationships. We have these addictions because it stops us from feeling these emotions. Yeah. But what if we had a safe space to feel that emotion and had the tools to do that? And that's what I first and foremost do for myself. Yeah. Sometimes daily. Yeah. Because I still feel this stuff. I still sometimes go through depressive symptoms and anxious symptoms and if things get really bad yeah i in not that long ago i sometimes had suicidal inclinations once the nervous system creates a neurological pathway it's easy to go back down that path if there is chronic stress still in your life so you've got to deal with the stress and have a safe place to do that so that's the first thing the second thing i do with that is a community can't heal on your own no Mm. can't Community is huge. And that's why I'm so thankful for being on this podcast with you and thankful that you have such a heart for this space because you're creating community. You're speaking up and helping with this stigma that, hey, we all go through this. Mm. That's okay. Yeah. Like that's, and that's compassion. So self-compassion cannot be experienced alone. Yeah. And I learned this. I was like, wow, because there's three ingredients to compassion. First of all, it's mindfulness, just being aware, like, Mm -hmm. okay. I'm aware of what I'm going through and I feel this. Cool. The next and the most critical part of that is common humanity. Mm. Am I the only one going through this? Mm. No. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. So when I say, hey, I'm feeling shit, mm. I'm going through this stuff, and you're in a, a very safe, vulnerable, authentic community and go, hey, I'm going through that too, you no longer feel like a piece of shit. Mm. The power in that is huge. Just that. So huge. That Just that is healing. Yeah. You don't need to do anything else other than go, I'm not alone. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Because we're tribal creatures. Like, holy shit, we have connection now. Mm -hmm. Massive healing to Mm -hmm. the nervous system. That's part of our social nervous system. And the third ingredient, once we feel that, only then when we feel that can we truly add this third ingredient, which is kindness. Mm -hmm. And actually being kind to ourselves rather than going, I'm going to use the Buddha sword here and stab myself again (laughs) and beat myself up for feeling like shit. Yeah. Oh, okay. And with that kindness is like, how would love respond? Mm -hmm. How would the energy of love 
respond in this situation? And it's yeah. beautiful. I ask myself that question all the time. And it's different all the time. It might be like, go watch some Netflix. Yeah. Oh, cool. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> or stop watching Netflix and yeah. go for a walk. Like yeah. it's this, it's your best self. It's your most encouraging voice mm-hmm. that loves you, that really that you can connect with, with your body. Mm-hmm. And you, and your, your body knows like, yes, I want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. Mm. It's like kinesiology kind of thing, like having that type of thing. So that's the third thing I do with the, uh, sorry, the second thing I do is compassion. Okay. And then the, the third one is nourishment. Mm-hmm. And this is where the lifestyle, this is where my business name came from live different we live in a culture we talked about this before on the couch (laughs) what was the question you asked me about mental health like is it increasing or do you feel as though it's getting better or worse in your opinion in what you see yeah and my response was pretty quick yes i was like i i know it's getting worse yeah you know that's why i said that 2040 they say depression will be the number one cause of disability Mm -hmm. why is because it's very simple any species that is out of alignment with the natural laws will have disease common we see that all the time with animals Mm -hmm. but we're now seeing that with us we are now completely out of alignment with nature Mm -hmm. right with technology being indoors all the time yeah not understanding right it's too weird yeah but we know that if we get out into nature this is why we love the beach we love going to forests we just Mm -hmm. feel like oh i feel calm Mm -hmm. nature can hold us it's got these negative ions that can reduce inflammation and it can regulate our nervous system so well. Um, so that's what I teach is like, let's live different mm-hmm. to the Western culture that is profoundly a big part of play of what's causing this mental health. Yeah. I was on a podcast um, the other week called um, The Adelaide Show and he asked me if I thought my mental health was better here living in Adelaide or better in Indonesia where I was living on a small island Mm. and like hands down my mental health was better there because I explain it as if it's almost like that was my ecosystem Mm. like it's it's warm all the time I was outside 80% of my day compared to here where I'm it's probably on the flip side of that you know I'm in the sun I'm in the salt water I'm at the beach like the people you're surrounded by make a huge difference Mm. even just the fact that um it's we switched over to daylight savings like a week ago and I feel like I've come alive yeah, me since too. then. Like I generally genuinely feel like I was like a bear throughout winter and didn't want to, you know, it's dark at six o'clock and I didn't want to go anywhere. And now that it's summer again, it's like the environment that you're in makes such a huge impact on you. Huge. And like what right now, like the sun has set mm. where we are and we're now under like an LED light. Yeah. Right. So we're under blue light. Mm-hmm. So what that would normally do if we didn't have any light, we would have candles, maybe a mm. fire, and our whole nervous system would be like, oh, it's it's nighttime and let's allow the melatonin that we produce during the day to be utilised and actually feel tired and let's go to bed early. Yeah. But we don't go to bed early. We have because we, we're not tired because we've got this artificial blue light telling us it's daytime and now we're out of alignment of circadian rhythms. Mm-hmm. That's a big one I teach my clients. And then when we get into alignment of that, you'd be shocked how quickly you mm-hmm. feel great. Like yeah. a week of doing it properly, holy shit, <laughs> like amazing. And this is why like at home I've got like red lights and blue light blocking glasses, salt lamp, pink. like yeah. all these things. So that's the four things, live different. Yeah. Of really getting back to how we were meant to live in and how we can incorporate that in our world. Yeah. Um, and then the the fourth one, so we've got breathe regulation, talk self-compassion, nourishment of the live different and the fourth one which is the hardest one for all of us to do in our culture is rest Mm. 
<laughs> and so that they're the things I really preach, yeah. teach, and, and live by to manage the the mental health. Because like, I'll tell you, if I stop doing this for two weeks, oh, you better believe I'm going to feel depressed and anxious. Yeah. It will come back. I, and I, I've yeah. experienced it. Yeah. But that's why I, this is no longer a fix. Yeah. This is a lifestyle change. Yeah. This is who I am and what I do now. Then that's how I explain it as yeah. well because there's no cure. No. Like you're not cured of depression or cured of anxiety or, mm. you know, it's it's I have learned myself what I'm like. I've got more self-awareness and I do the things that I need to do to ensure that I don't slip off, I guess. And sometimes that's easier than other times. But it's, yeah, it is a lifestyle. It's not a do this once and you're going to be cured kind of thing. Yeah. And I think we're so close. Like we say the word so often, but we don't relate it. Mental health. Mm. Health. (laughs) What does that mean? It's not just mental. It's physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. Mm -hmm. We are so multifaceted. We we should be approaching it on all angles. Mm. That's what health is. It's holistic. Mm -hmm. And we don't approach it holistically. Then we're only really scratching one surface. Like we're only really taking one step when there's so many things you could be doing to like really approach it on all angles. And that's what I teach my clients. I'm yeah. like, it's not just diet. Yeah. Like diet's one aspect. Yeah. Okay. But we put so much emphasis on that. Mm. How do you breathe? What water do you drink? Are you in nature? Like it's all these things that approach, but yeah. yeah. And I think we put a lot of like emphasis on like what you eat because also as a society, how you look is mm. perceived to be so important. Mm. Not are you a good person, but mm. how do you look in those genes? You know, and so I think that all kind of ties back into that as well. And, you know, I mean, I'd like to look good as well, but like we we should be looking at. That's the byproduct, I think. Yeah. I go to the gym five times a week Mm -hmm. and have been doing it consistently for the last couple of months. I'm starting to look good. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't do it to look good. I do it for my mental health. Yeah. Right? And it's just the. physical health. Well, the physical, yeah, totally. But the byproduct is. Yeah. I'm looking better. I'm looking stronger. I feel stronger. Fantastic. And you feel confident and you feel good about yourself as a bri- as as a byproduct of that also. Yeah, and when people are so low, like that's something I don't recommend. Like don't go to the gym. Yeah. But there is elements of what I do teach which is hormesis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the World Health Organization says that the 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 number one epidemic of our 21st century is stress. Mm. okay but it's there's different types of stress mm-hmm. they're talking about chronic stress which is a low form of constant stress yeah we think chronic is something pretty big yeah the, the, the word, word chronic yeah but it's not it's just thinking oh shit i'm waking up and there's a text message from someone or yeah. i've got that email to do or i've got to go get that food and i don't want to run late and i might miss the bus and it's all these constant things that are low but they're constant mm. and that's the what causes a lot of fight or flight sympathetic dominance, mm-hmm. which is this real stress, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's the, gosh, we could go into that in a whole nother episode. <laughs> but when you learn the nervous system, you can go, oh, crap, okay, I need to regulate. And the, one of the best ways to do that is acute stress, hormesis. Mm-hmm. And that's hot or cold therapy. That's an mm-hmm. ice bath or a cold shower. Mm-hmm. It's small doses but ample amounts of them mm-hmm. to regulate. So that could be a form of breathing. Mm-hmm. Wim Hof breathing, for example, is a hormesis. Uh, intermittent fasting can be a form of hormesis. That's a, you know, there's different forms and, and mm-hmm. should be done individually and, and taken for care. Um, cold therapy, saunas, mm-hmm. um, little things like that that put a, just a bit of stress on the on the physical body that will release the tension of chronic stress. Mm. 
And it's a huge part of building more mitochondria in, in the cells. It builds a cellular energy. It reduces inflammation. It builds the immune system. It does so many beautiful things. Mm-hmm. But for someone who's really low, you have to take it at your pace. Yeah. And that's really important. So that's another thing I teach. That's part of the Live Different. But, yeah, this is where it comes down to rest. So yeah. do a little bit of acute stress, but then you've got to listen, okay, where's my rest? Yeah. Is it the meditation? Is it having a having a nice Epsom salt bath? Is it just laying on my couch and listening to some good tunes? Mm-hmm. Um, is it hanging out with a friend? Mm-hmm. Like where's your rest? Not sleep, mm-hmm. but where's your rest in your day? We don't have a lot of that. Mm. If we do, we feel lazy for it. We live in a culture that's like, be better. Like I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead and I'll earn my rest. Don't earn your yeah. rest. You are deserving of it. That's what you need. I literally have to schedule myself for rest. Isn't that just ridiculous? Like, like honestly, if you saw my calendar from last month, you would be like, what the fuck are you <laughs> doing to yourself? Yeah. But like, I have to like literally schedule out like half a day on a weekend mm-hmm. or something to be like, okay, this is your time to just be at home and not do anything. Mm. And that is a bit messed up. <laughs> right. Because we live in this world that's like it's crazy. productivity, productivity yeah. and comparing and competing mm. and be better. Mm. And it's just like, no. Yeah. Like that burns you out. That causes stress. Mm. When you can come from this place of just fully accepting yourself, fully coming to the compassionate self and resting. And in that, what's so profound is when you're in compassion, love is a greater force of motivation mm-hmm. than criticism and judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Massive. it sounds sounds weird. Mm. And most people that the science done, why do people are, are afraid to really go down a compassionate pathway? The number one reason is fear of laziness. Mm. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning so much. <laughs> I've, I've got more done. Yeah. I've created an online program. Mm. I've got new clients. I'm now looking at a different service. Mm-hmm. I've built new relationships. Like I'm going to the gym more. Mm-hmm. Being compassionate than being Mitch, you know, you got this, this and do. you got to do this. you got to do this. you got to do this. you got to. Oh. Yeah. Through Someone. rest, I'm getting more done. What? Yeah, I know. Which is probably going to take, like, I feel like people are going to need to, like, let that sink in. You have to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, obviously, we've talked about so much. Oh, sorry. I I talk a lot. (laughs) No, I'm having the best time. But you've been through a lot. Mm. When you look back at that journey and everything that you've been through, how do you feel about it now? Yeah, like, hindsight, good. But I tell people, what I went through, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Yeah. Because it almost took my life. Yeah. And I know that there are some very strong people out there going through some hard times and they're just questioning, like, I just, like, well, I, like, I'm not strong anymore. Like, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. Your body is just needing some deep rest. And that's what, like, depressed for me, just sounds, stands for deep rest. Yeah. This is why you're saying, you know, you don't heal depression or anxiety. These are these are just signs and symptoms that your body's communicating out of love, saying, hey, we're just not in alignment. We're out of balance. Mm-hmm. It's time to get back to balance. So I, in hindsight, would never wish it on anyone, but yeah. at the same time would say it was the worst thing I went through, but the best thing I went through. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird, like a weird thing to say, isn't it? But it I, is. I, I feel that myself. Yeah. So yeah. I completely understand that. Yeah. If anyone would like to find you and like have a chat in a bit more depth or, mm. you know, how can people work with you or how can they find you? 
Yeah, so a few platforms. You can go on my website. That's mitchellvelani.com. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some links there that you can connect to or just so through social media. Um, at Instagram, my handle's at mitchellvelani. Facebook, at mitchellvelani. Um, and on on those is like live different stuff. So mm-hmm. that'll be the best ways to get in contact. Yeah, and I'll yeah. put all of that in the show notes, of course. So if anyone wants to find it, they can find it there. And you are currently taking um, clients for a six-week program? Or? Yeah, I'm going to be advancing that to eight weeks. We're going nice. to be upgrading that a little bit. Um, yeah. And that's going to be happening in like the next group is in like 20 days. We're just finishing up with the my last group we're going into week six and we'll jump on a call next week and yeah and then i go deep so that's an eight week journey that i do with people but at the same time i do like one-on-ones as well where we go deeper for the extended time that they need Mm -hmm. yeah amazing Mm. so yeah if anyone has um listened to this episode today and been intrigued and want to learn more um then i highly recommend you jump onto mitch's website and shoot him an email um because he's full of wisdom (laughs) thank you so much lisa i just want to say and honor you your work is you know is nothing short of amazing um people need this uh, people need to hear this and like you said reduce that stigma. We're all going through it. So thank you for being a voice for mental health. My absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for coming over today. Um, It's nice to actually finally see you again after so long. (laughs) And I think we'll leave it there. Cool. Thank you. Lovely. All right, guys. Uh, See you later. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Even better, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to it, please tell them all about it. You'll find more information from today's episode in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on High Tide, Low Tide, please email me at lisa, spelled L-E-E-S-A, at hightidelowtideau.com or DM me on Instagram at hightidelowtideau. See you next time.